This is a community where we aim to create a comfortable space that allows for active discussion without judgment. Find us at thecuriousmother.com and follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at thecuriousmother. Welcome back to The Curious Mother. I'm Kristen Daly. And I'm Melissa Miller. So, Melissa, what have you been curious about lately? Self-esteem. Oh, gosh. Yep. Big word, loaded word. Everybody's super concerned about it these days. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, I think we started caring about self-esteem, you know, maybe back in the 80s, and I think we've gotten worse at it. (laughs) Isn't it amazing that the harder we try telling our kids that they should feel awesome about themselves, that the more depressed and anxious they are. I know. Isn't that a little bit crazy? I I recently... I was at a um, award ceremony at my kid's school, and they were doing that. Of course, like everybody gets a prize, you know, and you right. get a prize, and you get a prize, and and I was trophies for all. Yes, and I was watching it, and it was funny because they had said, and now this one award is the award that only one kid per class gets. And I was thinking, okay, this is going to be the coveted award because all the other stuff was shared amongst a ton of people, and of course, like. Even that award, they ended up having several classes that had more than one kid get the award. And the funny thing was, is I was looking at the kid who's getting the award, and then it's shared with another kid. And you could tell the hard part was, there wasn't this sense of like, oh, yay, two of us got it, but rather, oh, essentially, none of us got it. You know, when we add in an extra person getting the award, the comparison, the way that we are wired, now the award is diminished. Yep. So moms out there, we want to present maybe a different side of the argument today to this whole race to high self-esteem. And it might be a little shocking coming from two psychologists (laughs) that we don't think self-esteem is the most important thing for our focus to be on. In fact, we Mm -hmm. think that it's uh, maybe not doing us any favors at all. None. I mean, one of the things that I can remember, and maybe you, I don't know if I actually heard this in training or just from a a therapist, uh, but the idea of fake it till you make it. Yep. You know, if you have low self esteem, what you have to do is you have to march around acting like you have high self esteem, and then your brain will eventually believe that you have high self esteem, and then you've made it. <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell you that, hands down, my least favorite phrase in all of the world of therapydom is fake it till you make it. It makes my skin crawl. And I think part of it is just because of the fact that. Okay, we know it doesn't actually necessarily make it. Right. Um, Interestingly, think about the people who project the highest self-esteem, so narcissists, right? When we do imaging studies on narcissists, and there's a really neat study where they had them do this perceived social rejection task. So they are, you're basically, you're in this MRI, they're imaging your brain, and you're playing a game where you're passing a ball evenly but with two other people. So there's three of you and you're passing it to one person, then you pass it to the next person. And what they do is they've manufactured the game. So eventually the other two people just pass the ball back and forth to themselves (laughs) (laughs) and you are left out. (laughs) And uh, what they have found is the actual physical pain centers of the brain will get excited in people who have narcissism. So basically, social rejection feels like physical pain to a narcissist. So what we understand is narcissists actually don't feel good about themselves at all. So like this idea of fake it till you make it, act like you feel really good, 
doesn't sink in. It doesn't actually create a sense of feeling good. So, so we got to back away from the self-esteem. Right, right. <laughs> and the other thing about self-esteem is we are inherently telling people that you have you have to feel special to feel important or lovable or good enough. Yeah. And so then it becomes this like race to try to feel special, to yeah. feel like you're the best, to feel like you stand out. I have a lot of girls who will say to me like, well, I don't feel good about myself because there's nothing special about me. Yeah. I need to stand out in some way. And I feel like, especially in this world of like Insta fame, yeah. that everybody's trying to find their way to be a superstar. But that's kind of impossible for the masses of people. <laughs> it's great if you have a superstar talent, but that's mm-hmm. like one in a million, right? Yeah. And the truth is, that's not what gives people then this permission to feel good about themselves. That we actually can think that we're lovable good people and live very um, content lives without being special or the best. Yeah, it's it's interesting, the idea of um, worth, you know, because yes. sometimes when I'm talking to clients, I will talk to them about this idea of like, you do understand that you have inherent worth. Like worth is not something that is earned. You know, it's not something that's demonstrated. It's not something that is modeled in, per se. It's just it's part of who you are. Right. And it always makes me so sad when I have clients who, are, who really don't grasp that concept or they feel like they aren't worthy because of X, Y, and Z. That is a huge thing. And I, you know, I'm even thinking about our kids who they feel like if they aren't good basketball players, if yeah. they're not getting all A's, that that is where their worth is wrapped up in because they're seeking worth instead mm-hmm. of just recognizing that as humans – they are born with worth. Exactly. And it is a really big struggle. Yeah. And so um, Melissa and I would love to beg all of the parents, like, let's let's all back away from this um, self-esteem uh, idea. Yes. And let's try to think about it from a little bit of a different perspective. Yes. So the best counter-argument, so we can't manufacture self-esteem. We can't fake it till we make it. It's not going to happen. Right. But there's another concept that if we engage with this concept, we actually will see a lot of the outcomes that we're looking for with high self-esteem, right? So with high, the reason why we want everybody to have high self-esteem is because you want to be able to pursue things that matter to you. Yes. You want to be able to try harder. You want to have that concept of grit, that willingness yes. to get through things that are challenging. And resilience. that's resilience. Yeah. You know, these are all the things. This is why we want everybody to have high self-esteem. And since we know we can't manufacture it, what is another pathway to getting all of those outcomes? And that pathway is? Self-compassion. Right. So self-compassion, being able to be super kind to oneself. Right. And this one, luckily, is one that we actually can engage, you yes. know, because you can start being kind to yourself any minute of any day. (laughs) It's always accessible. You don't even have to fake it. Yes. (laughs) And for all the moms who have just groaned and rolled their eyes of like self-compassion, what's that going to do? We want to actually say that there are, there's a lot of research to back this up, which is fascinating and exciting. So we know that this actually works as opposed to all the research that's coming out in self-esteem. It's not showing that it's effective, nor have any, has anybody found a way to increase self-esteem. Um, But it's not showing that self-esteem is what gives us grit, what brings us happiness, what brings us meaning. But self-compassion, it's got the data behind it. 
Yes. And the thing is, is that we can engage with self-compassion and we can model it. Yes. And luckily we can also teach it. Right. What I hear, the biggest thing when I present this to my clients or my friends is I hear a lot of people say like, Ugh, but if I wasn't hard on myself, I wouldn't be motivated. I would just be lazy. I wouldn't care. I would do nothing. Yes. Do you hear that too? I do. I get this. Um, the pushback I will get is that, yeah, the lazy thing in particular. Yep. Like this idea that people who are really self-compassionate are probably slugs. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that is always the response I have is laughter because the thing is, is that Self-compassion, especially if you are a go-getter. Like, I, you know, I see a lot of folks who are kind of on the type A side of things, constantly motivated, constantly running. I this, Sometimes I will imagine, like, they're like little hamsters on, yes. on their wheels, you know? Yep. And the thing is, is that um, you're not going to turn into a slug, I promise. <laughs> right. Exactly. But also, when we talk about what actually motivates people, fear is a terrible motivator. Terrible. Fear or, you know, when we're... Um, when we feel terrible about ourselves, like negativity never increased any work office's productivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always think about like if you're working in a cubicle and you, and you can work harder, if your boss comes in and starts yelling at you and calling you the scum of the earth and you're horrible and these numbers are pitiful and if you don't get them up, like nobody's really in it, feeling super excited to work harder. Mm-mm. But if you come in and you have a cheerleader and it's okay, the numbers weren't good last month, but let's think about what you could do differently. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just opens up space for movement. That's where yeah. true motivation comes when you are able to look at things accurately. Self-compassion, it, it, maybe I need to back up a little here. I think sometimes people think when we say self-compassion, they think that you're supposed to just say like, Oh, you're so perfect. Nothing mm-hmm. needs to change. This is awesome. I love you. That's not self-compassion. No, it is not in authenticity. No. <laughs> so let's talk about what self-compassion needs to look like. Yeah. So um, I, the biggest thing is trying to be the friend to yourself that you would be to somebody else. Like, yes. So just like you were saying with the whole, if somebody's had a slip up at work, you want to be encouraging and kind. Like, that's the key factor in self-compassion. You know, it's like, um, I always think of it as like, what would be the kindest thing that somebody could say to me in this moment when I'm feeling low? Yes. And that's different for every single person, right? You know, I had a client I was working with once, and she, we were trying to figure out what her self-compassion statement could be. And gosh, her, she was so hard on herself. She could not come up with anything kind that she would, that somebody would say to her. And so I kind of, her homework was to just notice something kind that somebody said, because I was, you know, she was sure nobody out there says anything kind. And I was like, I I know it has to be there. And, um, she was competing in a triathlon and she had, was running up a pretty steep hill and she heard somebody on the side of, of the path say, man, that girl's got grit. And she came back to me with a grin on her face. She was like, I got it. I got my self-esteem, my self see, I missed it. <laughs> I got my self-compassion statement. And she was like, that girl's got grit. She was like, and, it. you know, and just hearing that had just, it gave her a boost on that hill. But the funny thing is, is like she decided that's going to be the thing is I'm going to remind myself I'm a girl who's got grit, yeah. you know? And so the thing is, is that 
it it really like I, for some reason for me like the term sweetheart is like the the nicest thing that somebody could say. So when I'm trying to be self compassionate to myself, I, you know, I really will just be like, "It's all right, sweetheart. We got this." That's the the way that my brain works. Like that to me is the nicest thing that somebody could say to me. So I, I say it. it. You know, when, when we're thinking about when we're in a tight spot, when something bad has happened, when we're upset about something, if we are negatively criticizing ourselves, then we tend, in, inwardly, we feel ashamed, we feel rotten, and then we're like angry to people around us, yes. right? Yeah. Um, or if we don't kind of be kind, then almost try to pretend like it doesn't matter, we don't care, and mm-hmm. then we become aloof, we get angry at people, there's distance between us. Either of those strategies is what the result of negative self-talk is, yeah. right? And yeah. so why people think that negative self-talk works and is motivating, like what we need in moments to develop resiliency is being connected with others, having love, and if we don't have that for ourselves, how can we connect with other people when we're in a really hard spot? Exactly. And it's not saying, oh, this doesn't matter. Oh, who cares? Oh, you're better than that. That's not self-compassion. It's saying this is hard and anybody in your position would think this is hard and it's okay. What can we do next? That's self-compassion is just yeah. being realistic, but also being kind about, yeah, you're human we can do something about it. Yeah. That's compassion. Yeah, it's uh, one of uh, my favorite speakers um, and authors, Glennon Doyle, says that she, you know, her thing is, is like, we can do hard things, yes. you know, and I just, to me, that is a very compassionate approach because it's recognizing it's hard and also saying we can do it. I sometimes will get pushback from parents I work with because they think that being compassionate to their kids means being overly indulgent. Right. And so I'm always trying to draw a line. It's not that you're not having boundaries. You know, it's not that you're giving them everything they want, but it's more about being in a safe emotional space. You know, if they didn't study for their chemistry test and they bombed it, berating them because they didn't study is not actually going to make them too willing to try harder, right? Not at all. (laughs) And so if you can come alongside them in that hard emotional space and just say, that sucks. It's hard to have that grade. I can tell it's upsetting for you. That's going to show that you're willing to see their perspective. That actually makes you more trustworthy. It actually might gain you a little bit of influence, you know, like maybe next time, how would you do it differently? And and that's the way we have to think about it is people trust other people who are safe. And if we are judging and hard to other people, we're not going to be trustworthy. Our opinions don't matter as much. Same thing on the inside. Like what I always say is like people who are really judgmental on the outside tend to also be incredibly judgmental of themselves. Yes. And yes. so their head is not a very safe space to be. And it's good to recognize that because that's where self-compassion can actually be a practice that helps to push back against that. Yeah. You know, what you're bringing to mind is something that I am shocked that my kids are learning at school. Uh-huh. Um, both of their grades just did a big unit on growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly kind of what you're talking about is that when we are critical, when we are negative, when we are punishing of a bad experience, we have this fixed mindset of it is what it is. I, I'm a bad person. Yeah. Nothing can be changed about that versus this growth mindset of saying like the chemistry test. Well, what could you do differently next mm-hmm. time? When mm-hmm. you're compassionate and saying, okay, that's... I, that's upsetting. I'm sorry you didn't do as well. What do you think you could have done differently? It opens up this compassion and this love for growth to happen yes. so that it can be different next time instead of um, 
just trying to avoid the consequences of getting in trouble or being fearful or not learning from your mistakes. Exactly. And I think that the big thing is, so I, I, my latest addiction is Harvard Business Review. I just love the articles. They're incredibly thoughtful. And one of the articles that they had this year, uh, it was in April, was looking at self-compassion in entrepreneurs. And so what they were saying is fear will often be an important part of an entrepreneurship because if we think about fear being something that makes us vet our decisions, that can be a really good thing, yeah. right? And so it's not that fear or anxiety is always bad, but it's really about the direction it goes in. You know, if we can be, um, if we can use fear to drive good decision making and we only use it in context where we are actively making decisions, we're going to be potentially more effective. The hard part we have is that a lot of us get to this place where we're really hard on ourselves because we think being hard on ourselves means we perform better. Right. And it tends to have the opposite effect, especially the older we get. You yes. know, so when we're young, we can actually have a little bit of bandwidth for that. Still, it's going to coincide more with a fixed mindset. And what the Harvard Business Review article is talking about was that even to be brave enough to be an entrepreneur, really it takes a little bit of being able to be okay with experiencing failure. Yeah. And if you fail and your head is in an awful place to be, like if you fail and you're that person who berates yourself and is just unbelievably hard on yourself, you're much less likely to ever take another risk. Yeah. And risk taking is so important, right? right. <laughs> and so right. that's where we, you know, thinking about that idea of how do I respond to me when I experience a failure, because we're all going to experience failure. All of us. So what, do you, what are some ways that people actually can do this self-compassion thing? So one way that I also want to bring up that I think people, that I think a lot of our moms might relate to is um, how we are with our bodies. Yeah. And I think that when we are negative, critical, judgmental, really hard on our bodies, that's when we start to see the yo-yo in our weight. Yes. Right? Yes. And I think that what I hear from a lot of my clients is if I'm not hard on myself, if I'm compassionate, then I won't be driven to try to change. Yeah. But research shows it's the opposite <laughs> yeah. that has the, the beneficial effects. Yeah. So the harder we are on ourselves, the harder it is to maintain regular exercise program mm -hmm. and the harder it is to make good decisions about what we're eating. Yeah. So I feel like when we're saying, I can't have this and I need to lose weight and we're putting ourselves in this negative judgmental spot, we tend to see binge eating mm -hmm. increase. We tend to make poor decisions on what actually makes us feel good. And the truth is, if we're taking good care of ourselves every day and exercising because it feels good for us, and it's also beneficial for our hearts and our brains and our joints, and we're making food choices on what would take the best care of ourselves in yeah. this day, as opposed to being negative and critical and trying to lose weight, we make better choices on our food when we're being compassionate. Totally. What would what would feel good? Not not how can I. Um, get everything in today because tomorrow the diet starts going to be super rigid, <laughs> I know. Right? But Well, and I mean, it kind of goes into if we are in a bad headspace, then we are going to be dopamine seeking, right? Yes. We're going to be looking for our happy drug because yes. we're in a bad headspace. Right. And when it comes to food, the big dopamine foods are the ones that are laden with fat, sugar, and salt, right? right? And so if we have worked ourselves into a froth because we've been so hard and ugly towards ourselves, yes. what will sound like being nice from that brain perspective, would be 
one of those big high reward foods, yep. right? Just have it. I need this. I need I feel something. Terrible. Yeah. Right. And if we are being kind to ourselves, then the funny thing is, is that we're not having this need for this huge dopamine right. pop, right? And so it actually even is nice to us is a very different thing. Totally. (laughs) Totally. And so it's a lot easier for us to be able to choose the foods that are better for us when we're not coming at at it from a place of disadvantage. Right. Right. And when we're being compassionate to our body, not unrealistic, like what's not realistic is that you're going to look in the mirror and be like, I am a 10 Mm -hmm. all day long. (laughs) Everything about my body I love. Every single aspect. (laughs) But when we're chasing this idea of I have to be perfect. I have to look a certain way. It's really, really, really hard to make good decisions for ourselves. And so just being able to say, hey, this is me. I am what I am. I'm going to love myself. I'm going to take good care of myself instead of being rigid and cruel and terrible to our bodies, which which is what starts that yo-yo effect. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I had a client recently, we were talking about this whole concept of, of worth and the idea of, like, that you're always worthy. It's not based on a certain number that they see on the scale or right. a certain size of clothing or anything else. And it was interesting because as she was processing it, you know, one of the things that we were talking about was she has all these pictures of herself that she can't stand. And so we were talking about the idea that for you to truly feel worth, like for it to be a core component of of your view of the world and yourself, you're going to have to really feel worthy in even those pictures. Like that version of you is also worthy. And this for her was a really difficult concept to embrace. But also she was kind of like, I know why I have to do this. I get that I, I have to love every size of me, you know, every angle, like in the sense of knowing that she always still matters, you yeah. know? And self-compassion does not mean not caring. Yeah. It means really accepting who you are and understanding your worth and then working with yourself. Like yeah, being good to yourself. And I do think it's important for us to like delineate here because self-compassion is not some added self-care routine necessarily. Right. You know? and right. Because I think when we're like super busy moms, the last thing that we want to hear is, oh, you need to have more time for self-care. Right. 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 Now, it's not, that's not the concept. Now, self-care can be a wonderful act of self-compassion. Totally. <laughs> like that can be part of it. But that's not what we're saying. Like what we're talking about is self-compassion is a way you treat yourself. Yes. And that can be when you are busy and it can be, you know, when you're having a facial. It can be how you move through your day much more than it is about a specific activity. Totally. Because I think the truth is we all have self-talk, right? Mm-hmm. But I think as women, we tend to be really nasty to ourselves internally more nasty than we would be to anybody else Mm -hmm. and so it's really about revamping how we talk to ourselves and how we think about ourselves yeah and that is something that it's not an addition it's changing the terms of the relationship with ourselves yeah and the tone you know I mean I always think that um that Stuart Smalley character from Saturday Night Live you know (laughs) looking in the mirror you're good enough you're smart enough and gosh darn it people like you that is not it that is from the self-esteem movement that's right that is the self-esteem movement but it's more like the Tone of, yeah. you know, like, geez, that, that was hard, you know, or I'm, gosh, I'm having a, a, a hard emotional day. Yeah. Just trying to land in a place of being super kind yeah. instead of being hard. Uh, for moms, what I always like to do is thinking about what if this was your child that found themselves in this position? How would you be there for them, walk with them through this? 
be kind and warm along the way and encourage them. And that's mm-hmm. really what we need to do to ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can all understand how we would like to be there for our children, to not beat them up, but instead to really support them. And I think that if we can think about how would we replace talking to ourselves to our child, it should be the same. Yeah. And sometimes it can even be worthwhile to think about that child version of you, yes. you know, because she's still in there. Right, <laughs> and, right. and what would you want somebody to have said to her? You know, sometimes if we've had those hard life experiences and maybe we didn't have somebody who was there to be compassionate towards us, it can be good to kind of even think about like what would have been the kindest thing somebody could have said to me right then? And how do I allow myself to be able to engage with myself in that same way and that, that same type of treatment? Now there can of course be ways that we act compassionate towards ourselves. So it's not that, you know, I I know I said it's not self-care. We can create it, by the way that we talk to ourselves and also by the way that we treat ourselves. So, you know, I I do think about the idea we can be nice to ourselves through our five senses. I had one client who we decided she bought herself these super, super soft pajamas. And um, so we decided to call them her self-compassion pajamas. (laughs) (laughs) And so at the end of a really hard day, she could put on her compassion pajamas. And that was just like an act of self-kindness, you know, so it can be something like that, but it also can just be super simple in that we're just, that we try to move toward like, what would be the nicest thing I could do for me? Yep. Thinking about ways that we need to let ourselves off the hook for things that we don't need to be on the hook for, that we wouldn't hang anybody else on the hook for. Yeah. And just recognizing that. One book, Kristen, you turned me onto this book a few years ago, and um, I'm sad to admit I just have started it. (laughs) Um, And I'm beating myself up because I should have read it years ago. You should have. You should have. <laughs> so I'm going to practice self-compassion of I'm not beating really yourself busy. up. <laughs> I've been really busy, but I am so thankful for this book because mm-hmm. it is, I'm flying through it and it is so powerful and really breaks it all down. Um, the book is just called Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself, and it's by Kristen Neff. Mm-hmm. Um, so go to our website, thecuriousmother.com, um, and it will be on there. It is really incredible to see how the research backs this up and all of the ways that this plays into our life. Yeah. She actually on her website has some really fun uh, guided meditations too that I sometimes will send clients to do. Um, They're all, they're relatively workable lengths, like 18 to 25 minutes or, you know, thereabouts, um, all free, which is wonderful. Um, I think that's one of the things I really love about Kristen Neff. Um, She's done a few TED Talks. But her her whole idea is obviously she wants compassion to be something that is spread. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so instead of creating resources that are difficult to access, she's kind of put all her stuff out there. I and love it. Yeah, I just think that that's that's the way that she's tuned. But at the same time, it is really good to have somebody who can kind of guide you in this. Yes. Because again, this is not something I want people to fake it till they make it. Right. Right. You know, one thing that she highlighted in her book that kind of blew my mind was um, the role of self-compassion with uh, procrastination. Yes. And, you know, I I just really encourage everybody, if you are struggling with doing the things that you want to be doing, self-compassion might just be the answer to unlock whatever difficulties you're having. Say a little bit more about the procrastination piece. So the procrastination, she kind of talked about how a lot of procrastination is due to anxiety and fear. Mm Mm-hmm of um, what if I uh, what if I don't get an A on this test? Mm-hmm. Um, well, if I delay studying, then I, I 
I push the goalpost, I, I delay, delay, and then when I don't do well, I can say, well, it's pretty good for only having studied 20 minutes yeah. as compared to really giving yourself the time and being willing to be vulnerable and fair, fail potentially, but mm-hmm. saying, I did my best. You know, kind of not giving ourselves the time to do our best mm-hmm. or being so wrapped up in fear that it's not going to be perfect, it's not going to be good enough, that we are too scared to even engage mm-hmm. and we just find our ways to kind of rescue ourselves from that position. And so we keep prolonging the task to avoid the fear um, or the worry about not being good enough. Yeah, I always think it's interesting that sometimes we can really struggle with even, we have these internalized big goals, yeah. and we can really struggle with being willing to fully take them on. Yes. And I think that, that it's because we feel like if we really gave it our all and then failed, like what would be left? And um, that's why self-compassion as a practice allows us a lot more room to yes. be willing to try. Because if we, if it doesn't go well, if we can be compassionate, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Right? Instead of the horrible feeling that comes with failure, we can at least know, like, even if I fail, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. It's interesting. We had kind of shifted our way of handling one of our kiddos is not the most athletic. And part of that is because in our perception, they don't really try all that much. And we noticed that our after, like after these athletic events, we would be a little bit critical and hard. And uh, Jeff and I had kind of a heart to heart about it because I was like, I wonder if that is also part of the process. Like if, if we're being critical, how much are we actually creating willingness to try? Yes. And so we decided to shift our engagement. And, you know, it goes back to, like, that recommendation of, like, you know, I just love watching you play. I mean, we were were following that that approach, but then we would be, I love watching you play, and if you did, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) (laughs) So so we kind of made a pact with each other that no matter what, we weren't going to try to worry about critiquing performance. Like, that's the role of the coach. And instead, just be super, like, encouraging. And if they felt that they hadn't it hadn't gone well or you know and just just really hang out there and just be kind and the funny thing is is like we're actually seeing a lot more willingness to try wow and i i do like i think that there's a role in that knowing that we're on the team you know you know and it kind of goes back to this idea that in our society we tend to push this idea that if you're not seeking perfection then what's to be what's to what's the point yes but instead you're right when there's just more willingness to um engage because it's something you want to do not necessarily to be the best but just when there's not the fear of if i'm not perfect there's so much more room to live fully and for enjoyment to happen which i feel like our lives are being zapped of joy because if it doesn't come with a blue ribbon Mm -hmm. we don't think it's worthy but when we are self-compassionate then it's Sometimes the process is what makes it the blue ribbon. Yeah, well, and it's funny to imagine. And also, we've been giving out the blue ribbons like crazy. Right. And nobody feels better. Right. <laughs> right. Okay, so we would like to challenge all of you. Um, there. So dig into Kristen Neff's work. Um, if you already have ways that you practice self-compassion, we would love to see it. Yeah. Um, we are going to use hash, hashtag BeCompassionate to try to highlight those efforts at being compassionate. And um, we would love to learn from you. Like, what do you do to try to make it okay for you to be willing to try? 
Thanks so much for joining us today. You are listening to The Curious Mother, a place where we unpack all things related to mothering. This is a community where we aim to create a comfortable space that allows for active discussion without judgment. Find us at thecuriousmother.com and follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at thecuriousmother.com.